Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Far-Fetched Fables, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Starship Sofa, Tales to Terrify, Crime City Central, and Protecting Project Pulp. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, this is Far-Fetched Fables. Welcome to show number 140. We'll begin today with a wee bit of flash fiction titled The Robbed, by Tim W. Boitou. Tim's fiction has appeared in Everyday Fiction, The Writing Disorder, Lamplight, Cosmo Magazine and Write Room, and he was a finalist in Glimmer Train's 2013 Fiction Open Contest. Tim holds a PhD in Experimental Psychology and lectures at Eastern Michigan University. He lives in Michigan with his wife and son. The story is read for us by Anthony Babington, a voice in the Internet's head, who looks almost but not quite exactly how you expect him to. Having escaped from the sinister forces of Texas, he has retreated to an ingeniously disguised bunker in a secure, undisclosed location in Burnsville, Minnesota. His life goal is to someday annoy Norm Sherman into letting him voice a part on Escape Pod, but until then he'd be happy to voice a project for you. Yes, you in the checked shirt. You can contact him on Google Plus or Twitter. And now, The Robbed, by Tim W. Boitou. You can't find your keys this morning, so your wife drives you to work. At dinner, it seems, the salt is lacking. But when you attempt to add some more, the shaker is bare. The only consolation at the end of such a troubling day, of course, is Aurelius, but he too is absent from the shelf. When sleep doesn't come, the bedroom grows long, the blankets constrict the body, stretching over with elastic tension. Blood stagnates in the head and the ears sharpen to the muted creeping of thieves, careful things biding their time in air vents and drains and the narrow crevices between walls, watching through minuscule peepholes. Every day you notice something amiss. A sock, the lid of the blackberry jam, the spiral binder of your notebook. All that remains is a new scuff on the floor, and then the next morning the scuff, too, has vanished. Things fleeced never return. 
things that were your life. A living room full of books and machines. Kitchen stocked with food and garbage. Bedroom decorated with modern art. Cage-free eggs. Excruciating, whitening mouthwash. Wedding ring. Your life an aesthetic list. You can't catch them. All the traps you lay. The tripwire, rat catchers, fishhook nets. All triggered and taken. The shadows of subtle pilfering evaporate when you flick on the lights in the middle of the night, the little thieves darting into unseen corners. Then one night, the light doesn't flick on, the bulb gone, the muted sounds of thievery persisting defiant in the dark. One day, when the wife doesn't return from work, you realize the thieves have become so emboldened as to rob you of her warmth. The place barren now, Skeletal frames of furniture and appliances with no content to fill them. Life has descended into a new level of emptiness, the pinnacle of enforced austerity. But there is always more that can be taken away. The next morning, you find they have absconded with your doors. When you return from work, the windows are gone. Your house has become a second-circle wind tunnel, every corner in constant, restless motion and the frames of furniture drift away. The cushionless couch, the chairless table, bed frame, bookshelves, carpet, refrigerator. More items struck off the list. Finally, all that is left is you curled into the corner of your bedroom at night, watching the hunched forms of the thieves flit through the shadows. Bolder and bolder. The less there is for them to have, the greedier they have become. It's only a matter of time before... A longing throb, you find the nail of your pinky toe missing, plucked neatly from your body. By parts they pluck your limbs from you. A foot, a forearm, a calf, a bicep. One day you awaken to find a stillness in your body, the beating of your heart silenced. You can only imagine the pit there, flanked by slabs of lung. One by one the organs of your body are ripped from you, cleanly, without any disturbing scar, just the memory scar of that wholesome feeling of filled body space. By now you can only shamble about, the bits of you that still poke out exploring the parts of you with holes. With the exposed retina of the one remaining eye, you piece together that they have stolen the entire left side of your house, parts of the roof, the floor. Beyond that are giant, empty bites out of the earth, the sky, existence. Worst of all, you realize, staggering on the brink of a void, somehow, through it all, they managed to steal your volition and motivation to fight back. Finally, the pathetic scraps of sleep and solace that had been left you are yanked away. At night, all there is to do is watch their slight, bird-clawed shapes lurching through the darkness as they plunder through the pathetic remnants of your ravaged life. As you stare blankly, they rip the digestive system out of your mouth, the circulatory system out of your chest, skeleton out of the hole in your arm, and then, with their little thief hooks, your entire nervous system out of your nose, brain and all, leaving behind the deflated folds of skin that had once been the mask people had called you. Then, of course, that goes too. It all goes every atom, until you are not really sure what it is the thieves were charitable enough to leave behind. Nothing, it seems. Absence.
the edges of vision. But then you'd see it flashing in the corner of your mind, distant and tantalizing. Your car keys. You reach out and grab hold of them with psychic energy, reel them into your essence, and from there associations begin to branch out. Your car and travel coffee mug, your house and fence, your refrigerator and wife, all the books and wood, paint and carpet, paintings and spaces. It all begins to fill back in, and you find that you are not only grasping the keys mentally, but you are also gripping them physically. Can feel the metal biting into your palm. There's more as well. Carpet fuzz beneath the feet. The sight of the disorganized kitchen counter. The cloying smell of overripe fruit in the fruit bowl. The sound of your wife preparing for work in the bathroom. Everything seems miraculously as it was before the thieves. So present. As you drive out in the sunlight, the universe is not full of holes. But you can't shake the feeling that this dangling keychain, this car, these thick hands, this brain, none of them belong to you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We couldn't help but notice that the narrator's missing socks never reappeared. Perhaps some mysteries can never really be solved. And on to our next story. It is Notes on a Page by Barbara A. Barnett, a tale that gives the term music lover a new meaning. Barbara is a writer, musician, orchestra librarian, coffee addict, wine lover and all-around geek. Her short fiction has appeared in publications such as Beneath Ceaseless Skies, Lady Churchill's Rosebud Wristlet, Orson Scott Card's Intergalactic Medicine Show, Daily Science Fiction and Flash Fiction Online. She is a graduate of the Odyssey Writing Workshop and currently serves as managing editor of the workshop's blog. 
Barbara lurks about the Philadelphia area and can be found online via the link in our show notes. Her tale is read by C.J. Plogue. C.J. has a master's degree from Washington University in St. Louis and has worked in the mental health field for 20 years. She grew up in the Midwest and does not remember a time when she didn't love reading a good book. Between family life, education and career, time has become a precious commodity and leisurely reading a guilty pleasure. Listening to audiobooks became the perfect substitute during long commutes to work and C.J. eventually began narrating them as well, first reading for LibriVox in 2014 before graduating to story podcasts. And now, Notes on a Page by Barbara A. Barnett. Yesterday, Maestro Furman took the Beethoven so fast I was gasping for breath. Today I'm wondering if I'll make it to the end of the phrase before turning blue in the face. Rehearsals like this leave me wishing I had learned violin instead of oboe. String players aren't encumbered by the limits of their lungs. But as the maestro is so fond of reminding me, I have another limitation to worry about. Feeling, Miss Adams, he says, his German accent as thick as his eyebrows. Every criticism begins with those same words. That same exasperated tone of voice that makes me want to crawl inside the music and hide behind the staff lines. Beethoven wrote a piece full of passion. You're just playing notes on a page. As if there's no passion to be found in that. In precision, one note under pitch, one late entrance, one sustain held a second too long, and an entire piece can collapse in cacophony. And so I play in service to the way every single musical element comes together with mathematical rigor to form a seamless whole, at least in theory. In practice, I am alone among my fellow musicians, the eccentric who refuse to impose some abstract sense of emotion upon technical perfection. The maestro moves on to entreating the strings to give him a fuller, more bombastic sound, while he sings the phrase at them in that overly theatrical way of his. Josef, the principal flautist, tries to catch my eye from his seat two stands down, a subtle lean forward, an unsubtle smirk. He mouths Mozart and points to my music stand. Great, another one of his love notes. I pull the Mozart concerto out from behind the Beethoven. Joseph's handwriting, as artsy as that ridiculous beret he wears, fills the left margin. You plus me equal plenty of feeling. I'm amazed there isn't a slime trail to accompany the winking, smiley face he's drawn. I grab a pencil from the lip of my stand and start erasing so vigorously that the music tears. Again, Maestro Furman calls out. Top of the page. Too quickly, I shove the Mozart back behind the Beethoven. The music crinkles. Too slowly, I raise my oboe to my lips. My entrance is late. My embouchure ill-formed. I come in with an under-pitch squawk. The maestro glares in my direction. If there's one thing he despises more than my lack of feeling, it's amateurish mistakes. When he finally calls for a break an hour later, I rush from the stage, my eyes fixed on the floor. I manage to avoid Joseph, 
but my escape route takes me past the conductor's podium where i overhear the maestro muttering to the concertmaster about reconsidering the sound of the orchestra i've been here long enough to know what that means at the end of the concert season someone will be asked to leave i don't need to guess which player he has in mind it's one disparagement too many i flee to the bathroom and splash cold water over my burning cheeks our last music director was more forgiving of my charming idiosyncrasies as he called them but Fuhrmann, i'll never be able to give that man what he wants the only feeling he's ever aroused from me are embarrassment and shame by the time i've collected myself enough to head to the musicians lounge it's already eleven twenty-five only five minutes of break left i hurry across the room cringing at the disarray that surrounds me as ordered as we are on stage neatly aligned by instrument and stand number here the idealized audience perspective vision of an orchestra collapses chairs have been scattered every which way dragged across the room so many times you can see their paths worn into the frayed carpeting a half-played game of chess sits on one table outdated magazines and days-old newspaper lie strewn across another Komiko is yakking on her cell all the while monopolizing the copy machine with her pile of battered scores brendan from the trumpet section has taken up camp at the computer station when he sets down his soda he misses the coaster completely yosef waves for me to join him on the couch i pretend not to see him and make a bee-line for the kitchenette where the scent of stale coffee does its best to cover whatever's been abandoned in the fridge this week in my rush for caffeine a necessity if i want to make it through more of the beethoven i knock over a cupful of coffee stirrers when i crouch to collect the ones that have fallen beneath the wobbly kitchenette table i gasp in surprise at what i find a large flat circle covers the floor as wide around as the head of a timpani drum full of shimmering white and gold flecks the flecks sparkle so much that i think they should be tinkling yet they make no noise a coffee stirrer teeters on the circle's edge dipping up and down the tip disappearing and reappearing here and then not here curious i tap the stirrer toward the circle without a sound or a ripple it vanishes Yosef is the first one to notice my discovery he had probably been staring at my ass when i bent over again what is that he asked managing to make even the simplest question sound impossibly pretentious i reached toward the circle hesitant did the stirrer fall through the floor vanish into another world or has it been snatched out of existence altogether with yosef now squatting beside me they all seem like appealing options i wouldn't touch it he says and so i do exactly that like the stirrer my fingertips disappear into the glittering flecks i expect to feel something pain a prickle liquid pooling around my skin anything instead there's a frightening absence of physical sensation as if my fingers no longer exist a fingerless oboe player with that dreadful image in mind i yank my hand out of the circle suddenly my fingers are alive with sensation every pore buzzing 
I try to back away, to escape this overwhelming discovery, but the other musicians crowd around me, blocking my way. Their voices combine into a clamor that hurts my ears. That oaf of a percussionist, T.J., shoves past them with such bumbling force that he knocks me forward into the circle. White and gold explode across my vision, vanish just as quickly. For a moment I'm suspended in nothingness. Everything I sensed only a second before is gone. The scent of burnt coffee, the rough feel of the carpet beneath my knees, the oppressiveness of sweaty human bodies pressing in around me, even the beat of my heart is silent in this void. I smack against an iron-like grating, and sensation returns, unfortunately. I feel not only my pulse racing, but also a sharp ache where my face connected with one of the grating's thick black beams. At my feet sits the coffee stirrer, its formerly dull brown now vibrant against a featureless white floor. As I back away from the grating, I see that there are five beams in total, horizontal and evenly spaced apart. Another few steps and more comes into focus. The swirl of a treble clef symbol. Two four time. One flat in the key signature. The instrument indication of oboe. One. Two. Too many measures of rest for me to tell if the key is D minor or F major, but I'm definitely staring at my part on a musical staff. I spin around. All around me, against an endless backdrop of white, are three-dimensional staves for woodwinds, brass, percussion, and strings. Overhead, title and composer loom large. Symphony Number no. 9, Beethoven. D minor it is, then. I run my hands over notes and rests. Their texture feels like a grainy metal of a music stand. I give an experimental tug at the staff lines sturdy enough that one could climb them like playground equipment. So many fantasies about escaping behind the staves, and here I am, standing in an oversized orchestral score. The entire piece has been rendered with a sculptural precision that makes me see Beethoven anew, that fills me with the kind of awe I felt the first time I ever laid eyes on the scorer's intricacies. Though no instruments are in sight, the symphony begins. My surroundings are so pristine, so meticulous, that I half expect the tinny, synthesized playback of music notation software. What I hear instead is the sound of live instruments played with inhuman exactitude. The horns on their sustained fifth. String tremolo lurking underneath. More parts join the sustain. Clarinet, oboe, then flute, building and building until the theme the first violins have been hinting at burst forth full force. I dart from measure to measure, grabbing hold of note heads so that I can feel their sound vibrating through me, a sensation more thrilling, more intimate than any human caress. Feelings, Miss Adams! How delicious it would be to hear Maestro Freeman right now! Several of my fellow musicians stumble through the portal cutting my musical reverie short. I stifle a shout of frustration. They could have burst into my home uninvited, and I wouldn't feel nearly so encroached upon. What the hell is all of this? T.J. says. Yosef responds with an overly dramatic clap of his hands, 
It's glorious, is what it is. They gasp and chatter and twirl about in circles, asking too many questions instead of watching and listening. It's just like rehearsal. Yosef slings his arm over my shoulders and drags me toward the woodwind staves, unsubtle in his babbling about the way the flute and oboe parts intertwine. So many people talk about losing themselves in the music, he says, and here we quite literally have. Lose yourself in the music, exactly the kind of thing I've never been able to do, at least not off the page. And so it goes. A group of extremely talented yet overly spoiled musicians romp through Beethoven's Ninth like children on a playground. They climb the staves and swap notes to hear how the trombone line would sound on the cello. T.J. and Brendan start a game of catch with the whole note. Kumiko rearranges the violin line the way she thinks Beethoven ought to have written it. Yosef speculates aloud what it would be like to make love between the staves. I roll my eyes and chase after them, trying to fix the unwritten dissonances and other imperfections their antics create. At the end of the first movement we find a white and gold-flecked portal, like the one we came in through. Only this one is larger and hovers upright, taller than even T.J. The final notes of the movement play four staccato eighths that last unison d then a new sound a crinkle-like paper the portal begins to fold in on itself bit by bit fleck by fleck t j yelps and runs through i try to linger just a second more to adjust a fermata left in the wrong place on the oboe line but yosef and the others drag me along in their fearful stampede instead of returning us to the musicians lounge this portal sends us toppling one over the other into the orchestra library, between two dusty shelves piled high with sets of music. My colleagues start chattering all at once. The librarians rush over, gawking first at us, then at the portal. The shimmering circle closes behind us as if sucked into the shelving. I glance at my watch. 11.25. Here, not a second has passed. We all have an agreement. No one is to tell Maestro Fuhrman about the portal. He'd probably insist on conducting us through, baton waving with its usual flourish and indistinguishable downbeat. We spend every rehearsal break scouring the concert hall now. The portals are never in the same place twice. Yosef found one leading to the second movement in the men's dressing room. The third movement was in the concert master's locker. There's no doubt in my mind that someone will find the fourth movement today, our final rehearsal before the concert. I'm not going through the next one, T.J. says as we head toward the stage. I'm not even going to look for the damn thing. Yosef slaps a hand to his chest in exaggerated offense. Why the bloody hell not? It's the last movement. So? So the portals are getting smaller, the ones leading out. T.J. shakes his head. He looks pale. I'm not getting stuck in there, man. T.J. shuffles off to assume his place behind the timpani. Yosef starts babbling some insult about the average IQ of percussionists, but I tune him out. T.J. is right. The portals are getting smaller. Not for the first time. I wonder what would happen if you didn't leave. If you couldn't leave.
Would you starve to death there among the staves? Or is food as irrelevant as time in that world? Maestro Fuhrman takes to the podium, carrying himself with an extra degree of churlishness. Let's try to muster a little more passion today, shall we? He directs a withering glare at T.J. And a little more focus. From the very first note, my focus is certainly elsewhere. I play a B-flat and remember how it felt to actually hold one in my hands, how the pitch pulsed through my body, pure and unwavering, almost erotic in its perfection. I fantasize about having the portal world all to myself, the way it was those precious few moments before my colleagues first blundered through. I imagine sagging against the staves, consumed by the feel of pitch and rhythm, tempo and phrasing, dynamics and articulation, all coming together like musical clockwork. No mistakes, no fickle emotions. Yes! Maestro Furman cuts us off with a slap against the podium. That's it, Miss Adams! All eyes turn to me. I tremble. My skin flushes. What had I even been playing just then? Every time, Miss Adams, the maestro continues, I want you to put yourself into the music like that every time. The music feels as if it's crawling around inside me, not just my part, but the entire symphony twisting and turning in search of release. I clap a hand over my mouth and swallow back vomit. From down the row, Yosef gives me a thumbs up. Again, from the top, Maestro Furman says, smiling in my direction. I touch the oboe reed to my lips. I try to focus, but then I see it. A fermata, out of place in the first movement, just as it had been left in the portal world. The Maestro cues us in. His smile quickly fades. The music claws at my insides, but it finds no escape. After rehearsal, Yosef and the others dart off in search of the portal, which went unfound during break. I wander up and down the concert hall aisles before finally settling into a seat in the back row. I watch as the stage empties of instruments and choristers, as the librarians collect music folders, as the stagehands rearrange chairs and stands resetting the stage for the concerto that will open tonight's concert and serve as lead-in to our grand beethoven finale at my feet the portal beckons i should let the others know it's here but i won't they don't need this the way i do they can find themselves in the music without any help i took one final look at the stage i'll be playing beethoven's ninth tonight but not from there I slide out of the chair and through the portal into the fourth movement. The music begins. I sink back against a cushion of slurred eighth notes, closing my eyes and listen as the movement unfolds. When the chorus finally enters with Ode to Joy, I shudder at the feel of the thick wall of voices vibrating through me. My skin melts into the staves. Everything inside me pours like liquid down the staff lines, forming half notes and whole notes, sharps and flats, rests and staccatos, a world of musical perfection. My last breath is a sigh of ecstasy. I have become notes on a page, 
and I've never been played with so much feeling. And that's all we have time for this week, dear listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this or any of our stories, you can leave your comments on the Triple F website, our Facebook page, or on Twitter. We love hearing from you, our listeners, and we want to know your thoughts on our content. As always, please leave us a review on iTunes or other podcatchers so that we can build our listenership and keep the stories flowing. And also, please consider making a donation on the District of Wonders Patreon page so that we can keep the podcast up and running. Please remember that Farfetched Fables operates under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License, which means you can download the content and share it all you like, but don't change it and don't sell it. And please be sure to give credit where credit is due. All other copyright remains that of the authors, and violators will be retuned mercilessly. My thanks, as always, goes to Gary Dowell, our editor, and Mark Zanfardino, our audio engineer. That's it for this week. I'm off, dear listeners. I'll see you on the flip side. Bye now. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.